0: Welcome to the Using the Whole Whale podcast, where we learn from leaders about new ideas and digital strategies making a difference in the social impact world. This podcast is a proud production of Whole Whale, a B Corp digital agency. Thank you for joining us. Now, let's go learn something. This week on the nonprofit news feed brought to you by Whole Whale, of course, well, we've got some talks about the US debt ceiling and what it means for SNAP benefits and news about AI, as well as was China potentially interfering with US nonprofit? How's it going, Nick?
1: It's going great, George.
0: How are you? Doing all right today. I'm excited to get into it.
1: Yeah, I can get us started. So our first story comes from the Associated Press, but of course is top of mind for many Americans um, and has been the top news story of the past week. And that is the US Congress and the White House working feverishly to avert the debt ceiling crisis, which was and remains a very real thing. So the debt ceiling um, for those who are new to this (laughs) is essentially the federal government has passed a budget, but they have to allow themselves to spend, increase their spending. It used to be a procedural thing, and now it is a a very political thing. Janet, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has informed Congress that the U.S. would run out of money on June 5th. So this must be done by June 5th. Late last week, Joe Biden and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy came to a deal uh, that they are now attempting to sell to their members that would essentially negotiate Republican and Democrat priorities when it comes to raising the debt ceiling. And we're not a politics podcast, so we won't get into it. What we did want to talk about today, though, is one requirement in there that was made largely by Republicans that could have impacts for nonprofits, and that is work requirements for people on SNAP. So the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, formerly known as the Food Stamps Program, has actually in this deal again which is not law yet uh the white house and mccarthy are still trying to whip their members to voting for it but would actually increase the age work requirement to apply for snap food assistance, essentially food stamps. So currently work requirements already exist for most able-bodied adults between the ages of 18 and 49. The bill would phase in higher age limits, bringing the maximum age to 54 by 2025, the provision does, in theory, expire, um, as it's written now, in 2030. But, George, essentially what we're seeing is an increase in requirements, essentially, for people in their 50s to work to, re- to receive food assistance from the federal government. We know nonprofits are often the administrators of, of this, this food aid and, and work with providing food to, to Americans across the country. What, George, what does this mean for, for nonprofits broadly?
0: Well, at a high level, very good. I think we all win when the government doesn't default on its debt, which can scare donors, can hold back budgets, which can, you know, frankly, hurt the general financial operations of nonprofits. So macro, that's a good thing. These work requirements, it seems like something to pay attention to, especially with the temporary assistance to needy families program, cash to families with children. I'm pretty sure formerly branded as welfare, rebranded as, you know, this temporary assistance. It is adding friction state by state. And so it is, you know, sort of readjusting this credit to make it harder for for states in in administering this and with more with more requirements. So I think here's what I'd take away. Anytime that there is added friction to providing assistance to families that qualify, there is a lot of room, a lot of white space for nonprofits to operate in helping families get access to the, the the resources they deserve inside of inside of your state. So this is an opportunity for further research, depending on where you are, as well as maybe an opportunity for a new type of program or a fundraising initiative in in light in, in light of uh, these changes. George, no, I think also, that that's you know, hold on. I looked at this, I couldn't see how much money that like projected to spend, like everything else in here, like IRS funding, like they're, you know, going to save 20 billion. Okay. COVID they're pulling back 30 billion in unspent current of like very specific numbers. I looked through all of this. I couldn't find a, how much are we going to be making by depriving people that qualify for benefits, the freaking money? I, I don't see it in there. And I'm willing to bet it's like, you know, a, a, a tank. It's, it's one, you know, I, it, it, it's, you know, it's one submarine that we don't need, frankly.
1: Yeah, George, I think that's a great point. The US federal government is the world's largest insurance company with the military. That is what its expenditure <laughs> is. And, uh, you know, discretionary spending, the stuff that you actually get to choose whether or not y- you pay for is a fairly limited amount of that. Money, most of the federal money is mandatory spending, Medicaid, Medicare, that kind of thing. So you're right. How much this actually moves the needle? Probably not very far, which in some ways makes it even more frustrating. But I think that's that's a good point. Um, I would love for us to not have this fun thing where we potentially implode the global economy every couple of years.
0: <laughs> so let's get rid of the debt ceiling. But, you know, we'll take All what right. we can get. Now, I agree with the debt ceiling. I agree that we have to have a conversation about it. Like, again, we're not a political podcast. I'll just come back down to the people. I spent time in, in Philly registering families for food stamps and helping them fill out ridiculous paperwork, you know, decades ago now. But to think of when I went through there, like how absurdly difficult it was and then how absolutely necessary once you really just get into the day-to-day financials of folks that qualified, like, I don't know, it's, I think, really easy to be that many steps removed and say, like, oh, here's, like, a, a political win for us versus, you know, in someone's household being like, hey, you know, we can no longer afford an extra 2,000 calories now is very real.
1: No, George, I I think about that a lot. And one of the most successful policy interventions I think, arguably, over the past decade was the childhood tax credit, which was a COVID-era policy that literally cut childhood poverty by somewhere between forty and fifty percent, and that expired. Right. Yeah. So we're not a politics podcast, but uh, it's tough <laughs> Dang, not to. We talk a lot about politics. <laughs> it's tough not to feel tag that this we're
0: on YouTube as politics. So maybe we are. No.
1: Oh. Yeah, I don't know. It's tough not to feel that sometimes we're nickel and diming the wrong things, but alas, we move on. Speaking of governance, however, uh, I want to take us into our next story from OpenAI in that OpenAI has announced grants, essentially, and funding for organizations to provide input on what democratic AI governance could look like. So OpenAI is launching a program to award 10 $100,000 $100,000 grants to fund experiments and setting up a democratic process for deciding what rules AI systems should follow within the bounds defined by law. So, of course, OpenAI is behind ChatGPT and also kind of Bing Search and vice versa. George, there's a ton of talk about AI governance and regulation. There's been hearings on the Capitol Hill about it. This is interesting to me because quite frankly governments are going to be able to respond much less quickly than companies themselves, right? Sam Altman was in front of Congress, the the CEO of OpenAI calling for an AI regulatory agency. The truth of the matter is that's not going to happen anytime soon. So it's really interesting to me that companies themselves are calling for this democratic input. George do we think this is a viable solution? Is this just clever marketing? Can this actually move the needle on making sure that AI remains safe and accessible? What's your thinking on this?
0: On one level, this is the first major move that I think we've seen out of the open AI nonprofit, which technically governs the for profit entity that they shifted to. And, you know, we, we've tried to unpack in the past, which is not entirely clear this is a you know a major public facing grant to help democratize and pull in other voices which is super interesting i think it is work that needs to be done i encourage you if you are in a media news communication realm to to look at how they're thinking about how to deal with the difference of what truth means what opinions mean and then how these results come there's there's a lot there in the underlying implications of it at a high level, you know, we're talking about a million dollars to solve, you know, a trillion dollar problem. There are 10, 100K grants. Just to put that in context for these 10, 100K grants, you're like, oh, that's so much money. Just really quickly, how much do you think it costs to run OpenAI for one day? Just w- one day. Do you want to throw a number out there? I'm, I'm going to guess $10 million a day. <laughs> Okay. Well, I guess I overshot on the the hype for it. Seven hundred thousand by one by one estimate of cost per day to run just the chat portion costs of running it. So potentially, yes, for the other costs it, it is higher than that. So to put in context, you know, we're talking about uh, a weekend's worth of funding, little less than a weekend <laughs> for something as critical as as this type of democratic input and how you deal with the divergence of opinion and and what truth means when you have two opinions on a on a thing. I don't know. I found it interesting to think about. I like seeing at least the nonprofit trying to enter the discussion, but this looks more like press than purpose. Save that for the YouTube short. <laughs> That's oh, a good tagline. Cut it cut it right there. <laughs> 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 I thought cut that. Perfect.
1: Amazing. Yeah. I mean we're going to we're going to have to see, right? And George, I, I wanna ask your opinion. I'm of two minds of this. I think that access and availability of AI tools is really important, right? Because safety and you know, capabilities are accountable to the public. But on the other end of that, open sourcing a lot of these tools and really democratic dissemination of really, really powerful technologies has a flip side. OpenAI has open in its name. How do you think about balancing, as we're talking about democratic inputs, how do you think about balancing, you know, access and public accountability versus, you know, maybe companies should be gatekeepers as to who has this very powerful technology? Do you have a, I know it's a big question, but do you have a take on that as we're talking about public input and, and democratic access and governance?
0: Yeah, the irony here is, really that open AI is not open at all. It started with that mindset of needing to democratize access to these tools. In some senses, they did it, but in by no way have they opened up how any of their reinforcement human learning, their weights, their systems, the potential risk of bias, other than they're working on it. But you cannot see see what's going on behind the curtain, make no mistake. There are other AI initiatives that do seek To be doing that, you can look at a lot of the open models on Hugging Face as well as Open Assistant, and I'm sure there will be others to come that are are actually trying to open up. I look with great skepticism at what Sam Altman now does as a playbook, frankly, of once you have a first-mover advantage, you build a moat as fast as possible with policy. And so anytime I hear the, like, altruistic sounding nature of you know raising the alarm and raising the bridge. I immediately think to wouldn't that be convenient? And yes, both of those things can be true, but for nonprofits to be participating, we need to have, I think, greater access to how these tools are actually uh, being built and, uh, and evolved. And I think mold grows in the dark. And so I don't think open AI is at all open, but there is something to be said by the fact that there is a nonprofit at at the the board level here.
1: That's an interesting take, George. I'm sure we'll come back to this question. And I want to take us into our next story. And we write a lot about how nonprofits should be paying attention to movement in the AI industry. And Microsoft has announced that it's Microsoft Cloud and Microsoft Tools for nonprofits um, are now going to have AI-powered technologies helping nonprofits understanding, you know. Donor behavior, fundraising, marketing, etc. George, I imagine we're going to see more AI in nonprofit fundraising CRM type tools. Um, is this a direction we feel confident that the industry is going to be going in? How should nonprofits think about this? What's your take on this
0: story? I think you know Microsoft is definitely at the forefront, and make no mistake, OpenAI is you know in many ways just an arm of Microsoft based on the amount of investment and control they have over it. It's not an accident that now GPT for an OpenAI defaults to the Bing browser. That's you know, a very clear decision made because of the controlling interest of Microsoft. The thing that I see happening is that the distance to AI in your day-to-day work is going to reduce. So whatever app you're in, and this is why we kind of called this out, whatever interaction you're having with traditional programs that you use day-to-day is just going to have a sidekick popping up alongside to help you along the way. Things to put in the back of your mind is that none of these things are a blank slate. See the sort of lack of openness. None of these things are without pre-programming and also, you know, as they become better, we're we're just sort of replaying what happened when the, the great data rush and acquisition of major companies took our data and then used it for advertising for internal LLMs, large language models, and for their profit as to things that Microsoft was rolling out. I think your staff, here's what's going to be interesting, is going to see these things and just sort of, oh, great, this is going to fill in the rest of my email, the rest of my document that I'm writing to whomever. And it runs into the gray jacket problem where it ends up looking like everybody else's AI completed junk. It will be absolutely discernible and detectable by folks that get more and more normalized to what AI language looks like. It's a little bit more fluffy. It's not as sharp. It's like you're looking without a pair of proper prescription glasses. It, it looks right from afar, close, but far, but far from good. And that's my concern, that as these tools are just sort of plopped in, it's going to have an averaging, because that's what these tools are built on, the average of billions of parameters of text written on the internet. And without the right use of it, you end up with average junk. But cool that it's integrated. And guess what? We're like, as sure, as sure as the sun rises in the morning, you better believe Google for nonprofits, Google's suite, Google's cloud is racing, racing to shove AI tools ready or not. And that's important. Ready or not. As close to your day-to-day work as possible. And so that distance, right? That distance to point of interaction of AI is going to be reducing.
1: No, I hear you. George, you had some great quotes in there.
0: Ready or not, AI I'm, I'm we come. I'm here for YouTube. I'm here for the YouTube shorts. I mean, <laughs> I respect you're listening to this on a podcast. This is all YouTube shorts now <laughs> because we use AI to chop up automatically things from this video and it does it inside of 10 minutes and then it's ready to go. So there you go.
1: For the long time podcast listeners we appreciate you and we see you and maybe we put out some podcast only content, you know, for the diehards. George, what about a feel good story? Oh, I wanted to
0: cover one, the one thing. Oh about yeah. A lot. I know we talked uh, earlier about it. It is controversial with regard to Falun Gong, the nonprofit, but I think this popped up on our newsfeed. So maybe you can give me a summary of this.
1: Yeah, George. So I can give us a summary of this. So uh, authorities in the United States, and this is reported by Al Jazeera, have arrested two suspected Chinese government agents in connection with an alleged plot by Beijing against the exiled anti-communist Falun Gong spiritual movement. Americans may be familiar with the Falun Gong's pretty overt protests of the Chinese government, even within the United States. China bought banned the Falun Gong based broadly around meditation in 1999 after 10,000 members appeared at the central leadership compound in Beijing in silent protest. And the group essentially advocates against the Chinese Communist Party. But in an indictment unsealed on Friday, John Chang and Lin Feng were charged an indictment unsealed Scamming to revoke the New York-based Falun Gong's organization's tax-exempt status and for paying bribes to an undercover police officer posing as a U.S. tax agent. This is this is a big deal because essentially these are, you know, uh, Chinese government officials operating in the United States uh, illegally, essentially, running covert operations here. So they're, you know, being charged with, with all of that 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 brings. But... Uh, they urge the IRS to revoke the organization's nonprofit status, and in a whistleblower complaint to the tax agency, yeah, that this this
0: has kind of come to the forefront. So, George, what do we make of this story? U.S. nonprofits are are very powerful, and you know, to to see this type of work focused on trying to revoke a. Uh, Nonprofit classification just shows you the the type of power that they care that much to be going after an organization like this. My other thought is that, you know, the mere mentioning of probably the words Falun Gong immediately mean that when we clip this for TikTok, it has got exactly zero chance, snowballs chance in hell of getting so much as a single view. And I think that's also just interesting in my mind of when we're looking at platforms and, and speech and the type of things that you're like, Oh, you know, it's, it's access to free speech on TikTok that we're, (laughs) that we're fighting for. And, uh, so this is, uh, this is just also just sort of quite an experiment on that. You know, it's complicated. I don't know enough about Falun Gong and their long history there, but I do know that it is wrong to bribe a U.S. official to remove tax classification of a 501 C three. That is a wrong thing.
1: That is a uh, that is a wrong thing. Um, I always love a little little spy spy action story uh, happening in our backyards here in New York City. Um, but I think an interesting uh, an interesting story here nonetheless. George, how about a feel good? Yeah, what do you got? All right, uh, this one comes. Uh <laughs> this is a fun one. Uh this is a story about a group of women, uh local quilters to be exact, who are donating their work to nonprofit agencies. So this one comes from Harold Hale Media in hagerstown And uh uh the guild, the quilt guild has donated 58 lap quilts, 112 adult clothing protectors or bibs, 13 twin size quilts, and one full-size quilt uh, to organizations, including um, nursing homes, organizations that work in hospice care, um, and and helping people um, approaching end of life uh, get maybe a little boost um, and be able to be seen and, and live with dignity. Um, and George, uh, we work at Whole Whale with organizations that advocate um, for uh, really quality end of life care um, and care for our oldest Americans. Um, so it's great to see uh, other people um, helping out to, to help folks um, uh, in, in those hospice uh, and, and senior care living uh,
0: kind of uh, environments. So we love this story. Yeah, important also as we consider the fact that the rising generation is the largest in U.S. history to reach that retirement age of the baby boomers. So, you know, great to hear stories like this, of course. All right, Nick, I think you uh, you know it's coming. Uh, so I have a question for you. Uh, <laughs> what, what happened when the nonprofit soup kitchen forgot to remove the funny bone from their chicken soup? <laughs> I do not know. It actually, it turned into a laughing stock. <laughs> yes, yes, that's what I'm here for. That
1: was good. That was. That is that is probably the best one.
0: <laughs> well, that's what you get for making it to the end. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, George. This has been using the whole whale podcast.